Good morning. It's Wednesday, the seventh of June, and I'm Govind Rajathiraj with the Core Report, coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital, and of course, the most rocking city in the world. Our top stories: India Inc. is holding strong in revenues and profits. Latest results analyses show. A tech company Baidu takes another knock as it refuses to repay a loan. And hmm, Bajaj Finance says it will cut back on telemarketing calls. This is a core report with Govind Raj Atiraj. India's companies are on a strong footing. India's macro GDP numbers may have grown a little slowly over the last three years, but India's companies have done well, particularly in the last quarter of the last financial year. That's twenty two twenty three. A study of two thousand ninety six companies by Bank of Baroda Research shows that growth in sales slowed down from twenty one percent in the fourth quarter of twenty two to twelve percent in the fourth quarter of twenty three. Now, net profits moved from twenty six percent to about seventeen percent in the same period. Within this, however, banks and financial companies, or BFSI as they are called, have done much better. Banks, insurance, and finance did well, as did services. Thanks to pent-up demand in hospitality, diamonds, jewelry, and logistics. Speaking of diamonds and jewelry, for a moment, the Aditya Birla Group is the latest big entrant in the large-format retail store and in-house branded jewelry business with a five thousand crore investment and a company called Noble Jewels that has been announced yesterday. Now, returning to what did well in the last quarter, within manufacturing, it was auto and construction material, power and industrial gases. What did not see good growth were textiles, plastic products, mining, gas transmission, iron and steel, and alcohol. Yes, alcohol. Now, across the board, though, premium products did well. A recurrent theme we are now hearing across product segments where companies are lining up new premium brands or focusing on them. Bajaj Electrical's CEO Anuj Podar, for instance, told me in an earlier episode of the Core Report their strategy to launch a new brand next last month, targeting upscale urban consumers. Most Bajaj brands in kitchen and home appliances are what you would call in the mid-market category. The only thing to worry about looking ahead is that cost of borrowing is now rising for companies as interest rates have. Bank of Baroda says weighted average lending rate on fresh loans increased from around seven point six percent in March twenty two to nine point three percent in March twenty three, and yet, or perhaps not, growth in credit was higher at fifteen percent. Compared to nine point six percent in the previous year. Now, all these numbers may appear somewhat diminished, but overall performance is strong. So, I spoke to Bank of Baroda chief economist Madan Sabnamis on this report, the trends he is seeing, and asked him why the banks and finance sector were doing so well in contrast to the rest. We have seen that the BFSI companies are the ones which have uh, performed very well all through the year, whereas if I am looking at the non-BFSI companies. They were the ones which actually struggled in the second and third quarters, in the sense that their profits had actually fallen. The reason being that the higher input costs were coming in the way of their profitability, and they were not in a position to pass on uh, this entire increase in uh, input costs to the final consumer. So this is something which we also saw or read in the commentaries of most of the CEOs of companies, both in the consumer as well as the capital goods segment. That high inflation has come in the way, a in terms of overall demand, but b also in terms of profitability, where their uh, costs have gone up, and they were in the process of uh, passing on these costs. 
So I think this is what we are seeing finally in the fourth quarter, that a large part of this passage of uh, higher costs has been through, which means that the profit numbers now look uh, better. But if you look at the headline numbers of the non-BFSI companies, we still see that growth has been lower than last year, indicating maybe this pent-up demand which we saw last year has uh, gotten diluted. And the second part is, of course, that uh, consuming power has come into way because I think higher inflation has affected demand both in urban and rural India. And that's what we are seeing in terms of lower growth in sales of uh, companies in the fourth quarter. Right. And and uh, let me, uh, if I may take a step back, uh, Madan. So if I were to look at this, uh, this seems to suggest that the economy is on reasonably sound footing. Though, I mean, we may say that growth could have been better, but this is not bad. And particularly some sectors seem to have done phenomenally, even things like logistics and healthcare and hospitality. Yeah, so we had seen this revival in uh, demand across services, uh, In especially services were very strong this year. And manufacturing, of course, we had seen it even towards the end of last year, the last financial year. And uh, this year, because we still had certain restrictions until April or so on services on account of the lockdown and uh, COVID, but all that got cleared uh, from the beginning of the financial year. So that's why we've seen services sector, that's when you're talking of logistics, hospitality, they have done extremely well uh, this year. The question, of course, is that will this be uh, maintained in 23, 24? That's something which we have to wait and see because uh, cost pressures, price pressures have definitely come in. And uh, my sense is that there could be a bit of slowing down taking place. But this kind of performance also gels well with the Q4 GDP performance. If you remember, our GDP performance in fourth quarter came much better than expectations. Nothing really spectacular, but uh, above 6%, something which none of us really expected. So I think everything falls in place that the economy has probably just about come back to the equilibrium. From where on, we can see only upward movement in the absence of any uh, COVID-like shocks. Right. And if you were to look ahead, which is for the next year, uh, you did touch upon the fact that interest costs are rising, inflation, and there may be other factors that affect companies. But what's your sense when you look beyond that? I mean, companies obviously do well when consumers consume uh, and buy things and so on. What's the outlook in that context? See, here, Govind, I would be a bit uh, cautious because... When we're talking of inflation and higher prices, it's not just a case of 22, 23, which saw inflation above 6%. If I look at cumulative inflation over the last three years, it's been in the region of around 18 to 19%. So when you're talking of uh, continuous inflation affecting uh, the real income of consumers, there would be a tendency for consumption to get affected going ahead. So I think with the pent-up demand phenomenon behind us, higher inflation of the past is something which can haunt us in this year. So I would be less sanguine about uh, consumption actually growing at the same kind of pace as last year. So when we are talking in terms of GDP growth being lower than that of last year, we had Bank of Baroda looking at 6 to 6.5% compared to the 7.2% which was registered in 22-23. This will also mean that consumption is going to slow down. So what we see is that the non-consumption goods side, that is the capital goods section, could probably be doing better. More than capital goods, I think it's the infrastructure-related industries would be doing better, where the government would be providing the initial impetus through the capex, both the central as well as the state governments. That is something which could probably keep the infrastructure-related industries doing better. So I think things like metals, cement, to a certain extent, your electrical uh, uh, equipment, these are the sectors which would probably still see fairly stable growth. But from the consumption side, I think it's going to be, again, very much skewed. And what we saw this year 
of uh, premiumization of products being the policy followed by a large number of consumer, uh, both durable and non-durable uh, goods companies. That is something which is going to continue to show the way even in 2023-2024. Yeah, indeed. Premiumization, as you say, is reflected very clearly and perhaps most vividly in uh, automobiles and, and so many other products. Uh, last question, uh, Madan. So as a bank, how are you seeing uh, lending and borrowing trends, particularly institutional or for that matter, even consumer? See, if we're looking at uh, last year, we had uh, credit growth of around 15%. This time, it's going to be more muted, but still it will be fairly respectable. So we're looking at a range of 12 to 14%. And once again, I think the thrust is going to come more from the retail segment uh, because we have seen in 22-23 that notwithstanding the fact that interest rates went up and all retail loans are based on the external benchmark, which is the repo rate. This means that when the repo rate went up by 250 basis points, all the retail loans became more expensive by 250 basis points, but that did not really come in the way of uh, growth in uh, credit. So I think retail credit will continue to be the driver of uh, credit, maybe not the 20% growth which we saw last year, but something lower than that. And there could be some kind of uptick when you're talking of uh, manufacturing, especially in the SME segment, even the larger companies, and probably also in the services segment led by the NBFCs. So it will be lower than last year, but definitely, I think, more or less stable in this region of around 12 to 14%. Right. Madan, uh, thank you so much for joining me. In what must be one of the firsts for an Indian company, a particularly a new one or a startup at that, Ete company Baiju says it is challenging the acceleration of a $1.2 billion term loan repayment and seeking the disqualification of the lender Redwood, who it says purchased a significant portion of the loan while primarily trading in distressed debt. Now, Baiju, which has raised some $6 billion in all in equity and debt, says it had to take these measures following a series of predatory tactics by its lenders led by Redwood. The lenders apparently seized control of Baiju's Alpha and appointing its own management, said the company. Not resting content with this, the TLB lenders, acting through their agent GLAS Trust Company, commenced litigation in Delaware in an attempt to lend credence to these actions. Now, this is mostly legalese and we will try and explain it to you in a moment. But before that, Baiju has also said that it will not be making any further payments in the term loan as legal proceedings are now ongoing in both Delaware and New York. Baiju's cannot be expected to and is elected not to make any further payment to lenders, including any interest, until the dispute is decided by the court. At the crux of the current flare-up, I think, is a $40 million payment that was due on Monday. The $1.2 billion debt is believed to be the largest unrated loan by a startup ever, and even as Baiju has been trying to restructure the loan, creditors are trying to accelerate the repayment. So now, just as I promise to understand what's really going on here, and more importantly, what this means for the funding ecosystem, I'm joined by Deepak Shanoi, founder and CEO of Portfolio Management Capital Mind, based in Bangalore. The idea was Baiju's, I think, raised about a $1.2 billion unsecured bond offering in the US in November 2021, if I remember right, because uh, it reflected in their annual report in FY2122 in India, saying that there is a $1.2 billion loan that has been taken and the repayment, well, I don't know how they, how they plan to repay. Maybe it was through an IPO or through Akash and so on. They hadn't even paid for Akash at the time. So I don't know if they have paid uh, Blackstone for their acquisition of Akash. Akash is the tutoring company that they acquired. 
Yes. And Akash Tutorials was sold by the founders of Akash to Blackstone a while back. Akash founders still own a stake and they all need to be paid by Baiju's. So they had, Baiju's had skipped the payment twice. Now, what has happened since then is that there were supposed to be payments made on this $1.2 billion loan on a regular basis. Part of it is interest. And uh, one of the buyers of the loan, so since the bonds trade in the exchange, people can buy and sell. These bonds had fallen to 60-odd cents in the US per dollar. Some people have purchased this. It went back up to 78 cents because there was a bunch of negotiations between Baiju's and the lenders. And Baiju's and the lenders said, okay, we won't sell any more shares. We just freeze the ownership of where we are right now. But let's try and negotiate and try and do some kind of a recast, maybe a lower interest rate or a higher interest rate or something like that, that allows uh, the lender some flexibility to not ask for repayments on the loan. Now, one of the clauses of this loan involved uh, the ability to accelerate the loan repayment. So instead of just paying back all of it over a period of time, they said, no, we can accelerate it in certain circumstances. One of the lenders said, we will do this. We will accelerate that lending. They went to court and apparently there was a court battle about whether such an acceleration should have actually happened or not. There were certain conditions based on which such acceleration could have happened. The court has recently apparently ruled that, well, the conditions that allowed you to accelerate this loan they didn't happen. So that means you can't accelerate the loan. doesn't mean that Baiju's can stop paying the loan, but it means that they can't accelerate or increase the loan repayments as per the acceleration clauses. What Baiju's has taken this to mean is, oh, the court said you guys can't accelerate the loan. That means I find you that you are harassing me effectively. So I'm not going to pay anything at all. This is also not going to fly in court, which I think Baiju's will find out very, very soon because US courts are very good at this. But they have decided to use this as an excuse to not pay the loan at all until this court case is decided. And they call it predatory and all of that stuff. So it's kind of funny because you can't do this. You and I can't do this. We can't go to a bank and say, I'm sorry, your guy called me at 8 p.m. in the night. So he's harassing me. So I'm not going to pay you my EMI for this month. We'll go to court and then we'll decide. They'll just take over your house and, you know, but apparently you can't do that at a $1.2 billion level. So it's kind of funny that it's happening. So now, Baiju's the last figures that I have in crores or rupees, revenue of about 2,280 crores, expenditure of 7,027 crores, and losses of about 4,560 crores. I mean, the exact numbers don't matter. But do they have the money to repay is my larger question. What the lenders are saying is this $500 million missing. They're not getting valid answers of where that money is. And that is why they are actually pushing for accelerated repayment. That's also because... The negotiations with the lenders went bust about two or three days ago. And one of the reasons was this $500 million not being found. I think the problem now is, where is this $500 million gone? Has it been used to say, pay Akash back, the shareholders of Akash? Has it been used for some other purposes? Uh, We don't know the answer to that. And because the lenders don't know, I think they're asking for more details. Baiju's has actually kind of put itself in a spot by saying it won't pay at all then that gives you rise to the fears that the money doesn't exist anymore. Right. And, you know, there is this interesting enforcement directed case. I'm not saying ED cases uh, should be taken on face value, but the case talks about Baiju sending some 9,700 crores outside between 2011 and 23, which might be for valid reasons. But since you mentioned money which is missing, one wonders where it's gone. Okay. Let me ask the larger question, Deepak. So what does this mean for this uh, ecosystem? Not just edtech, but the startup ecosystem. I mean, you know, so finally, 
does this give people confidence or does it give them the heebie-jeebies or so i think they should have already been getting the heebie-jeebies because honestly byju's is this is not the first time it first delayed its filing the auditor had to put in specific notes which they don't generally do the kind of aggressive notes that they put they literally said listen we've recognized the revenue of so much but the founder the management actually tried to recognize a revenue which was higher but i refused to let it because this is not money that belongs to them this is money that they may have to pay back because parents may not pay their emis and therefore so uh, there was an hint of corporate misgovernance at that point there was a rahul yadav case and now that's blown up it's a 280 crore case they're talking about having forensic audits to find out how he spent that money there is a case with this uh, ashneer grower situation where they're talking about crores and crores to phantom vendors whatever 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 so all of these things you know whether they come to a valid conclusion or not uh, i think it will take time to figure out but any time that these things crystallize into actual bad behavior you're going to find that people are going to be hesitant to invest in the ecosystem in some way you know we've had for the largest time testosterone driven investing into indian startups which means i will give you the money just do whatever you want with it in fact don't do whatever you want i don't care just take my money this needs to have stopped a long time back i'm just happy it's stopping now but when it stops it's not going to be an abrupt stop it's actually going to be taking stuff in reverse for a while there's no normal the pendulum swings one way and then the pendulum swings the other way so even the most honest founder is going to get questioned on anything that sounds like a questionable governance practice at the other extreme and at the one extreme where we have been no practice is questioned at all so i think what will happen is the pendulum is shifting towards the we will question everything but it's not yet there everybody's into this oh, okay these are edge cases and then they'll find this in a lot of cases i'm telling you this is like bear markets are where evils shine the skeletons come out of the cupboard right it happens in public markets we know this there are fires in companies when there are bad markets simply because you can blame the fryer on bad production bad sales bad whatever and all that stuff that is just one form there are so many forms of bad corporate governance that come out in bad markets it's in bear markets that you find the true character of companies and you know honestly i don't think our startups have been the best in terms of character i think we'll see more skeletons roll out meanwhile other signs of possible distress Venture capital giant Sequoia said it is separating China and India and Southeast Asia businesses into independent firms. Sequoia said the China, India and Southeast Asia businesses will become completely independent partnerships and distinct firms with separate brands known later than March 31st, 2024. Sequoia China will retain its current Chinese name and adopt the name Hongshan in English. Sequoia India and Southeast Asia will become Peak XV or Peak 15 partners, the firm said. Now this does come at a time when funding is slowing down and capital flows into high risk venture capital and by extension wild all or none technology bets have reduced. Hmm almost everyone I know has complained about telemarketing calls and have threatened to do various things to Bajaj Finance over time. My sense is the best they've come up with is really funny memes. Be that as it may, the company seems to have heard and says is responding. Sanjeev Bajaj, chairman of Bajaj FinServe, said yesterday at a conference in Mumbai that it aims to bring down value of loans pushed through phone calls to less than 10% of its business, according to website Money Control, referring to a press conference he addressed. Apparently, Bajaj wishes to reach a point where they will no longer call people and ask them if they wish to take a loan. 
our aim would ideally be to bring this business down to 10% and then to zero so that our calls will only be service calls bajaj said all promotional activity will happen through our digital channels that is where we want to go he said more importantly he said in 3 months time bajaj finserves website and its mobile application will have an option where borrowers and investors and clients can choose to be never bothered again we want to give people the right to be forgotten by us he said bajaj also said fake call centers are responsible for pushing such calls we recently busted a 400 member organized fraud call center just outside of mumbai he said at a conference well that's good news to hear but whether i as a non customer will continue to get those calls or not is not very clear to me let's see that's it for me today see you tomorrow same time and have a great wednesday this was the core report with me govindraj ethiraj do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on linkedin twitter and facebook as well now we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on india's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback@thecore.in at thank you for listening